feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Marie Curie. Welcome to a new episode of The Researcher's Story, an exploration into the science labs of India, a conversation with some of our best minds where a scientist will finally get to be the hero of the show. Albert Einstein once said, to raise new questions, new possibilities, to regard old problems from a new angle requires creative imagination and marks real advance in science. Today, we have with us a researcher and an entrepreneur who is trying to solve some of the real world problems in his own unique way. Please welcome Dr. Sanjeev Sambandhan, founder Open Water and currently lecturer, University of Cambridge to the show. Uh, welcome, Dr. Sanjeev. It's a pleasure having you with us. Thank you, Suraj. Uh, very nice to meet you. Uh, nice to hear about your show. There is just one small correction in your introduction, uh, which is uh, I'm uh, primarily a faculty at the Indian Institute of Science, IISE, right. and I'm a visiting lecturer at the University of Cambridge. All right. Thanks, uh, Dr. Sanjeev. So you are in the UK right now, I believe, uh, at, the, at the Cambridge University. Um, How is the country yes, treating right. you, uh, doctor, and what are you up to these days? Well, the country is great. Uh, of course, uh, not much. Uh, I'm not up to much these days because of COVID. Uh, yeah, but uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, and the university here is excellent. Uh, the, even IAC is excellent. And uh, this, uh, you know, I'm uh, currently fortunate to be jointly appointed at both places, thanks to uh, something called as a DBT Cambridge Lectureship, okay. uh, which I was awarded about uh, four years back, approximately. Right. And uh, yeah, so I've had to, me and my students have had the chance to spend uh, time both at IAC and at the University of Cambridge. Uh, and uh, it's been a good experience, um, although I knew quite a few faculty from Cambridge uh, even before I started. Okay. Uh, but as I mentioned, uh, IAC is my primary home. Right. Exactly. So uh, let me just take you back a few years down your memory lane and uh, the time that you were an electrical engineer by qualification. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you've been working in this field of electricals and energy systems all through your life, right? So um, has this always been your passion and how did you end up in the in this area of research? Okay. So you're taking me uh, quite a few years back. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, so no, no, it's, it, it didn't start out as a passion, you know. So I did my uh, undergrad at IIT Kharagpur. So we just walked in. Uh, I think me and all my colleagues, I can say at least most of my colleagues, uh, we would have walked into the blind, saying, "Okay, electrical engineering seems to be interesting." Uh, largely going by, you know, what your peers uh, say and talk about fields. So it, just, it wasn't a passion, but. Uh, one thing was I had a passion uh, to build things, uh, be it, you could call it electrical, mechanical systems, whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, I always had a passion to build things. And, um, you know, we, we used to come up with creative methods of doing different things. Uh, that's the only, you know, a compass that we had to, you know, pick up engineering. Uh, but I would have been equally happy being a mechanical engineer or, a, uh, you know, computer science engineer or uh, a chemical engineer. It just so happens I picked electrical engineering, right. and uh, it's not that uh, it's been I've not been working on this uh, for an entire lifetime. I would say because although yes, my training is in electrical engineering and I understand electronic systems a lot better than many other systems, 
when you actually start doing research, real world research, uh, nature does not place walls, right? So right. you do not see a difference between, uh, you know, uh, one kind of uh, system as opposed to another. That's not the way a researcher thinks. Yeah. Uh, it's all uh, nature and you're trying to engineer different systems using all kinds of concepts, be it mechanical, be it what you might traditionally study under mechanical, chemical or electrical. So it is all... Uh, to be learned, it's all interesting, and we use all of these uh, almost every day. Absolutely, that's 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 how real world research uh, finally works. I understand. Uh, yeah. So uh, you've had the opportunity to work at the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center uh, for close to four years, right? Uh, that's after your PhD, I believe. Uh, tell us that's about right. your experience there. Uh, you know and. And specifically, uh, since coming back to uh, IIC Bangalore and India specifically, uh, can you try and uh, help us understand, you know, the, what are the differences between uh, how research is conducted, say, in a country like US versus in India? Okay, a great question. A very the answer can be either very short or it can be very large. I will try to keep it somewhere <laughs> in between. So yes, again, I was uh, fortunate. As rightly said, I um, uh, I managed, I could uh, get a position at the Electronic Materials Device Lab at Xerox Park right after my PhD. Again, I was very fortunate. As Xerox Park, uh, I don't know if many people know it's it's a legendary research center, uh, which was famous for uh, uh, giving away the computer, the idea of uh, GUI uh, system to Steve Jobs, uh, and uh, you know, the what you see is what you get kind of uh, feel that you have in computers. Right. It's all uh, because of uh, technologies developed there. And uh, not only that, but the Ethernet and so many other things. So uh, it was, uh, I had, an, uh, so let me first uh, give you an overview, uh, not between US and India, but between an industrial research lab and an academic institute, because you mentioned IISE. Yeah. So these two work slightly differently. So Xerox Park is an industrial research and development center. It's an excellent center. And uh, their focus is largely driven by uh, what the industry needs. So they're trying to solve real world problem at scale. Uh, and although uh, this might require a lot of fundamental research, the end goal is always uh, this, trying to translate technology from purely academia towards large scale. Okay, so that was the Xerox Park I lived in. Uh, and it had transitioned from something much more fundamental to that. Right? But at the same time, I had a great manager. His name was uh, Dr. Bob Street. In fact, uh, he was a Cambridge student and he was a student of Neville Mott, who was a Nobel laureate. So again, I was very fortunate to work with. Um, and uh, it was a great experience. He gave me a lot of freedom. And so did my PhD advisor, in fact. Uh, I've always had a lot of freedom to do my own research, be it at Xerox Park or at my graduate school. And uh, that sort of shaped me because I began to think creatively about many things. Uh, I did not see differences. I was not, uh, you know, sort of uh, funneled into doing only a certain development work for an industry, which would have been uh, pretty boring, in my opinion. Right. Uh, so I wasn't funneled into doing that. So I managed to, I learned from all my smart colleagues in material science in all the other fields, and uh, we had a nice time building new ideas. So that was the rock spot, right? And uh, 
then when uh, but then at some point uh, you know this bug of doing fundamental research begins to bite okay so at least in my case and that's when everybody who's in industry makes a transition to uh, academia right so although xerox park is an r&d center uh, it is still a lot more d than r that is the xerox park i lived in right, right. so at some point this uh, bug of doing fundamental work and exploding out even further in terms of ideas begins to bite and uh, that's when i moved to iisc because iisc is one of the i would say last few remaining ivory tower kind of research institutes uh, wherein any faculty can do any work they like absolute freedom for all faculty and funding is not hard uh, you can't say that about uh, universities in the us anymore okay so funding very easy at iisc and that's a very big pull and students are free and you get very good students uh, so that's why i transitioned to iisc now to compare between how us works and how iisc works um iisc has this uh, this is my perspective i'm sure different labs you know it all depends on how which lab you're in how your lab runs uh, so that's uh, i'll take uh, please uh, mark that so it's a disclaimer you cannot generalize these kind of things of course uh, but uh, but iisc has got this much more uh, you know free uh, core fundamental kind of research field uh, wherein uh, you have very uh, very interesting people all around you and we get together over coffee or something and discuss uh, very core ideas and uh, go and work on these ideas uh the us i think uh, at least the us i i have seen okay which is not the us of the 1960s to 1980s where there was a lot more fundamental work going on in, in the us uh, things move things they do excellent research uh, but it's a very tough goal driven research because funding is very large uh, funding is very hard so if you are an academic and you want to get funding even at xerox park at, uh, as an r&d unit we had to raise funds ourselves so funding is very competitive in the us and uh, that's what and therefore in order for you to fight among your equally smart peers uh, you have to gather into very large groups and build uh, very cool ideas mm-hmm. and that is why you see uh, this very competitive nature resulting in the us coming up with a lot of breakthrough technologies right so they are usually the first to do something or show something of course not everything but uh, many of the cool ideas have come out from there uh, but uh, it's because of this nature and uh, that i would say as a researcher luckily does not exist in iisc uh, it's not nice uh, that you want to do something uh, which you're very interested in but then you have to scrounge around for funding it's a very hard uh, balance to maintain so i'm thankful to iisc or to india for that so there's a difference uh, both are Uh, both universities as well as r&d centers in the us as well as universities at least the top universities in india iits and iisc they are all good uh, and anywhere in the world right cambridge or even in europe europe or japan you have very good universities uh, i wouldn't place too much of difference uh, in the quality or the creativity of the researchers but it is the aptitude to how aggressively you want to pursue your uh, Uh, development that makes the difference okay this is uh, my perspective absolutely and i mean it does it does it does make a lot of uh, sense in terms of you know the key difference being applied research versus fundamental research uh, when we are comparing the two institutes right so 
that that does that is a huge difference and uh, it's very interesting that you mentioned about uh, funding not being an issue in iic um, yeah yeah and whereas you know uh, in good institutes uh, in the us the, the situation has really changed from how it used to be earlier to what it is now um, so at iic uh, you are heading the uh, flexible electronics lab uh, which is doing very good interdisciplinary research work you know this this takes us back to what you were mentioning about uh, all the different fields being equally important right uh, how what are the kind of work that you're doing in this lab and uh, can you give us some more details okay uh, sure so very broadly speaking if you were to visit the website uh, you will see that see we are fundamentally a semiconductor device and integrated circuits lab but we do many other things so let me just mention a few Uh, the first is uh, our lab does not work on traditional silicon that you see silicon based electronics although i teach courses such as analog integrated circuits and semiconductor device physics uh, on silicon my lab or my research uh, we are focused on developing uh, uh, integrated circuits on plastics or on some other interesting materials right, right? so these are mechanically flexible materials and uh, for that you need to come up with a new kind of you need to understand different physics so what is the semiconductor physics how does a semiconductor behave under these conditions how do you deposit it and so on uh, but apart from that we try to invent new devices ourselves and uh, the reason we do that is um, uh, it uh, if you can invent a device that can actually do the job of a small circuit then you save heavily on the reliability and so on so you will see a lot of papers on new device architectures we're not we're not confined to your traditional mosfet kind of architectures mm-hmm. we have uh, new device architectures um, that we try to invent ourselves and study the physics and publish these works the second point in our lab is uh, circuit design okay so we have got all these new devices we have got all these uh, cool ideas we build circuits and systems out of these So how do you do circuit design? So there are a lot of problems with regards to the stability of the circuit itself. Uh, so we try to solve these problems at the circuit level. And the third uh, area is uh, the reliability of your system, right? So now you have built your circuit, but you're going to have faults, like because you're flexing it and bending it, you're going to have faults, like open circuit faults, for example. So we have self-healing circuits. So there is a whole research thread on self-healing circuits, uh, which is a uh, very Uh, aggressive thread that we pursue in fact uh, we just uh, got uh, our latest paper published um, and uh, it's a thread wherein with the circuits that you build if it experiences an open fault it will heal itself uh, without the user having to do anything okay. and this has been of interest to isr once and the final one uh, which is the most interesting one is coming up with new system applications okay so now you have devices you have circuits you got reliable circuits uh, what systems do you want to build right so these are things like stretchable displays so you see the when you start talking about stretchable things or uh, electronics working with different mechanic mechanics uh, you need to understand mechanical engineering and understand how it affects electrical properties and vice versa mm-hmm. and then we are building edible electronics so these are uh, electronic systems that you can actually swallow and digest it will go inside your body it will do some diagnosis and we digest it and things like that so it's a huge range of material science uh, you know control systems engineering electrical systems and mechanics that we and chemical engineering that we sort of blend in if you would like to divide fields like that this is the kind of sector that we 
look at uh, for our research. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting because uh, what we're really talking about is fundamentally changing the way you know electronic systems are working, and then looking into how those changes can be applied in the real world scenario. So. Uh, one of the spin-offs from your lab uh, is a company called Open Water, right? Uh, That's right. Yeah, so how did the whole idea behind, uh, you know, uh, Open Water come about and has the research uh, now translated into something of uh, an application uh, that you're seeing here? Okay, um, again, it's a great story, this one. Uh, so open water is a, a startup. It's in the, it's a startup in wastewater treatment. Okay, right. so you might be wondering uh, what a semiconductor device physicist is doing with wastewater treatment, and the answer is it came about because of our studies on how uh, uh, you know dispersions of colloids uh, behave in an electric field. Uh, so a lot of the transistors we make are done by inkjet printing. Uh, and when we were doing some studies, we got some ideas on how to clean up water, or how to clean up any fluid. Okay. And uh, we started off very small. It started off as an M-Tech thesis, uh, uh, wherein we could clean up uh, one microliter of water a minute, I remember right. Uh, and then now it's scaled all the way uh, up to us treating uh, uh, 25,000 liters a day or even more than that. Right. So we're, we are right now, yes, we have scaled up. Uh, we have working systems. It's gone all the way from research uh, through uh, traditional development and into almost uh, final uh, uh, systems. Uh, this production production level. It's almost come to production level, uh, and we can treat large. We can treat uh, large quantities of water, wastewater, or sewage, and convert it to reusable or drinking water. Okay. Right. And uh, you might see our demos on our website. Our latest uh, step is we now have everything on a mobile platform. We have everything in a small truck. Uh, and so we can now go to any apartment, take their sewage water, give them drinking water out, and collect all the waste and convert it to fertilizer or uh, something. Okay, so that's the okay. uh, that's where we are headed. Uh, although the recycle bit, which is the uh, conversion of sewage to fertilizer, is still under progress. Uh, the water bit is uh, definitely possible. And apart from we can go with them, we can treat their sewage water and give them uh, reusable water. So, so, that is where so Doctor, I mean, I understand uh, uh, the, the application of this, but uh, you have some alternative techniques already available. You know, people use, say, like membranes. Currently, you have your water filter. Just to get, take an example of a water filter, right? Uh, that we're using right. generally, which is based out of membranes. Uh, Compared to that, how is this new technology, uh, you know, shaping up as far as economics is concerned and the usability over a long period of time is concerned? Great question. Uh, so uh, let us uh, firstly be very clear what sector we are uh, working on. So if you're talking about, uh, uh, we are not definitely not in the AquaGuard space because that takes tap water and gives you uh, drinking water. Yeah. So uh, let us look at uh, technologies that exist for wastewater treatment. Okay, so as you pointed out, membranes is a very core uh, segment. Uh, now, let us say, uh, let me put a scenario to you. Uh, let us say the government of India says, okay, it's very difficult to have centralized wastewater treatment systems. Uh, it's very, with the increasing population, it's very hard to do it. Uh, we would like all apartments and industries to treat the wastewater themselves. And in fact, there are regulations in place right now for such things. Mm -hmm. Let us say I'm an apartment owner. 
And now I need to put a wastewater treatment system at my place. Uh, let us say I pick membrane technologies. Now, what does that imply? That implies that I first need to, so I'm talking about large throughputs, right? Like 100 liters a day and I have an apartment. So right, right. I need to have, uh, I need to first import membranes because uh, it's hardly manufactured in India. Uh, then I need to find a place to store these membranes because, uh, you know, I can't just have them lying around. These are very uh, nanopore or whatever fancy material is used. It's a very sensitive material. So I need to find a place to store it, a cleaning room. And then I need to have the technology or the uh, technical strength to replace membranes as they get used up. And these are going to get used up pretty rapidly because uh, you're treating large throughputs of water. And uh, finally, we need to find a method to dispose these membranes. Now, these membranes are extremely toxic. Uh, I need to have the method to dispose them. Uh, and more importantly, I'm wasting a lot of water, almost 40-50% of water, which is much more polluted than what came in. And I should know what to do with that water. I cannot dump it into the ground, uh, so I should know what to do with that water. So these are the problems with uh, membranes or chemicals or uh, anything that you need to replace in large numbers. This is the problem. Right. So what uh, we have, it is in fact the clear problem that we are trying to solve. So what we have is a system that, think of it as a large washing machine. Mm -hmm. You give it a power source, you give it, a, we have an inlet and outlet pipe, you throw, you put the inlet pipe into your sewage tank or your wastewater cell and put the output pipe where you want the clean water collected and turn on the system, forget about it, go monitor the system on your phone. There is nothing for you to replace, there is nothing for you to do. And the system will keep uh, through converting your wastewater to clean water and uh, every once in a while there is a bag of all solid wastes collected right either automatically or by a team of service uh, people so once a week let's say there is nothing the uh, nothing the user needs to do and how is this possible this is possible because uh, our entire treatment technology is electrical there is no membranes used there is no chemicals used Mm -hmm. It's purely electrical, so we drive it. Actually, it's a microcontroller that controls the whole uh, sequence. It decides what the treatment uh, technology should be. I mean, how should you treat the water? It make, takes a decision on that. And uh, since it's all electrical and we have sensors, you can monitor the whole thing uh, online over the Internet. Or uh, uh, And if there is something, uh, there's a problem that occurs somewhere, our team knows about it and we can address it. Right. So by shifting this paradigm of water treatment, we have simplified, uh, you know, all the accessory logistics that go around wastewater treatment. So that's our USD, you can say. Right. Are you uh, are you also in touch with any other, you know, companies which are ready to take up the technology? And uh, as far as cost is concerned, doctor. Uh, yeah. The the I mean, do you believe that with economic with the uh, economies of scale, the cost will come down and be at par with what we have currently? Uh, so we are not actually when you talk about costs. Let me on the ask two questions. Uh, both are interesting. So first, let's talk about whether companies were interested. A long time back, companies were very interested, uh, but we have decided not to at the moment. Uh, sell the technology to any company, not in the large space, okay. the large treatment space. Not at this point, we do not want to do it. <clears throat> we are doing everything ourselves. But maybe you know, going down, we might take a different call. I do not know the future, so let me reserve that. 
right but people are approached by uh, hul hindustan uh, unilever their water division we were approached by aquaguard that is uh, eureka forbes uh, we were uh, we had a meeting with bosch etc uh these happened uh, early on i would say 2016 2017 around that time uh but at the moment we have decided not to sell it to anyone because uh we have a certain vision we want to show the world that vision and then see uh whether anybody is willing to buy it otherwise we will do it ourselves okay, so we are building our team strength and the power to do that because our system doesn't need too much of logistics so it is possible to do true that's true right so that's the plan um and uh, i forgot what your second question uh, the, the cost cost yeah, yeah. The cost yeah the cost of treatment i will tell you with whom we are trying to compete i will not uh, give you numbers but we are very close to competing with water tankers okay so for example uh, not that uh, i know i do not want to raise a dispute with water tankers i'm quite happy that they go on with their business uh, uh but we would like to so let us say you're an apartment owner and you want to treat sewage water and you have to do so because of government regulation right but is there also a financial motive for you to do so okay uh, we strongly believe we are better than other technologies at least in terms of cost but is there a financial motive for you to treat the water instead of buying more water from a water tanker right mm-hmm. so if it is financially more in, uh, beneficial for you to treat the water as opposed to buying more tanker water uh you can treat our water and use it for reusable water whereas you can buy tanker water and use it for drinking water right okay right now we are not claiming although we have reports to suggest that a lot of our treatment is portable we do not want to make that claim simply because of a lot of uh, sensitive matters around that point That's so right. we always call our reusable right uh, we are never going to define it to be portable unless we reach a very mature level of technology So imagine if you have a tank of water today and you can keep on treating that water and reusing it because our system wastes 0% water right so all you, as a human is one tank of water and you can survive on that for the rest of your life considering it is also portable right so that is what our system can offer and we are trying to bring out that financial advantage uh, much more clearly much more tangibly yeah that's that's actually a, a very impressive uh, vision uh, doctor that you have uh, but again uh, you know just to put things into perspective uh, when we talk about building technology based companies in india there are its own set of challenges so what are the challenges that you have been facing and you expect to face in the near future okay great question okay you have got a list of very good questions okay so again this is my perspective right yeah. so this is understood it's my perspective so the biggest challenge for young people in india who want to start have startups is a mental block there is nothing else okay uh, people are afraid to have startups and i am saying this uh, very comfortably because i have a backup position which is an academia job right mm-hmm. so it is a understandable uh, fear it is a very understandable so very understandable fear uh, and that's the biggest challenge in my opinion the right. second challenge if you if you get into the details of it is uh, 
the ecosystem you know india does not have it used to be a nation where we had a lot of entrepreneurs okay this is going back you know, centuries yeah. uh, you know we developed steel blades and so on and so forth uh, but then somewhere down the line we lost that creative spirit if i if i remember right we were also the first to demonstrate a flying aircraft somebody in pune right mm-hmm. so yeah, I, i won't say first or second but you know we we, we built it so uh so we've lost that spirit somewhere and we have become followers instead of creators of technology yeah and uh, that mentality has to change and because that meant and along with that mentality uh, there should be an ecosystem also created firstly if you have a business here um, you need to have a buyer also otherwise the business is not going to survive and for a business to be built it needs an ecosystem of uh, you know funding it needs guidance it needs uh, uh technology help for example it needs tools and things that i don't need to keep importing because importing is very expensive i need to have local sources developing these things mm-hmm. local design of things i should not be wanting to send everything outside the country to design or manufacture something yeah and uh, things like so that ecosystem needs some kind of push uh and uh, with that i think you'll see a lot of uh, uh you know ideas coming up now i should say that india is not that difficult now in terms of funding okay uh, great uh, you get great support from the government of india at least the past 5 years i don't think my startup has seen uh, any difficulty in terms of funding probably we are from academia but i would i don't say that's true uh you have we have uh, particularly the department of art technology i uh, i hats off to them they have uh, through their byrac program anybody any person who is interested in uh, picking on a startup and have a good idea uh, do take note of their byrac program particularly the big byrac program which encourages this right uh, for both individuals and companies and uh, i mean those are excellent programs which will help uh, push india a long way we have received a lot of help and we have grown mostly because of that help i would say these are the difficulties and challenges okay not i wouldn't say funding uh, funding possibly but uh, not uh, for just an idea and uh, up to 50 lakhs to 1 crore uh, which a good idea might need to translate uh is definitely possible through these agencies and after that of course there is vcs um and for that you need you need to answer to uh them right uh, that's a different ball game altogether yeah 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 personal uh, difficulties uh, there is only one personal challenge i will talk about mm-hmm. uh, which is i'm an academic i love my research i have students to graduate so how do i time share between my startup which is also very interesting and my research which is also very interesting so that's been my personal challenge right. and iis is been very supportive in that right so as a researcher doctor um, i mean i've worked in a lab for for a few years and uh, it's not easy to build a product right uh, every day you go to the lab and there are set of challenges that you face every day and uh, because any good product needs time to come uh there are days when things won't work for you right so experiments fail things don't work out so uh, as far as your career has been can you can you help us understand how do you cope with you know the, these challenges and all these failures that you face uh, when you are working as a researcher 
Okay. So, uh, see, uh, when you say product, uh, not all research needs to generate something, a tangible box with lights, right? So that need not be the definition of a product. For example, uh, a product of academia might be the students it uh, puts out. If, you know, if a university puts out very good students, it's developing great products. Uh, as a researcher, your product might be the new knowledge you created, uh, which has come out in a paper or it's in a patent somewhere. Right. So that is also a product. So uh, I think the definition of the product should be very different. Uh, everything need not be um, a box with, uh, you know, having some impact. Uh, it should be a little broader. But at the same time, any good product, be it a good student that you graduate, be it a good paper that you write or good knowledge that you create or whatever it might be, takes time. Okay. So the most important quality a researcher must have is persistence. Okay. It is not how smart you are. It is not uh, how, uh, of course, everything is important, but I would say persistence. That's the most important. That is to never give up. Uh, if an idea fails, think about why it failed, analyze, go back to the lab, think over it, and then come back and attack it through another angle and never give up. It might take years. It takes years. People sometimes wonder why are you working on the same thing uh, for so many years. And the answer is uh, we try to achieve some level of perfection and some level of consistency and reliability and improve our understanding on whatever we are studying. Right? It might be a physical phenomena, it could be, you know, fundamental physics, it could be some engineering, whatever it might be. So that takes time. The second most important quality I think a researcher must have is, of course, knowledge, but more than knowledge, creativity, right? So do not be afraid to explore. I always uh, tell my students a couple of tips. Uh, the first is when given a nice project. So it's usually me who thinks about what might be very nice to work on. But once I've given them the idea, I do not encourage them to immediately go and start researching literature. I think that's, in my opinion, it's a bad habit. I would like to see what ideas the student comes up. Because I have my own set of ideas. I do not discuss that also with the student. I let the student uh, decide and come up with their own creative ideas. Right. And after, you might reinvent the wheel. They might reinvent the wheel, but they will learn a lot. And the student might say, come up with, say, N ideas, out of which uh, we will have a discussion and shoot down N minus one ideas because it's not, it, it violates physical, it violates physics, or it, uh, it's not engineering, it's not practical in terms of engineering, etc. But there might be one idea which is interesting, which might work. Now, at that point, I ask the student to go do a literature survey. At that point, I discuss my own ideas. And then the student does a literature survey. If he or she has reinvented the wheel, it doesn't matter because they have learned a lot in that process. And if they have not reinvented the wheel, if their idea is unique, they have a patent, they have a paper, they have a thesis, and they have created new knowledge. So this is how, uh, you know, I uh, train my students. Now, so do not be afraid to explore. Be very creative. Uh, don't uh, hold back. Don't hold. There is no... A rule as uh, don't follow traditions when it comes to research. Uh, I mean, uh, what I mean is in terms of thought, uh, traditions of ideas. Right? right. Do not think. Uh, do not think that an automobile implies something that looks like this, and it has to have four wheels or three wheels and has to run this way. No. Uh, think about both from the user perspective, from interesting physics, and so on. Okay. So creativity. So persistence, creativity, and of course knowledge. Right. 
very, very strong fundamentals. No matter how fancy or advanced a technology is, uh, fundamentals need to be extremely strong. Good code strength in mathematics, fundamental physics, or whatever field you're in, biology, whatever field, fundamentals need to be absolutely strong. Otherwise, you're on shaky grounds. Absolutely. So these are the things. And uh, how we deal with failures, our failures are, you know, our very interesting idea failed. And it's okay, it doesn't matter. It's, it's actually fun for us because uh, that's what we love doing. Of course, uh, as younger researchers might be very dejected when a paper gets rejected, for example. Uh, my advice is don't get, don't put an emotional tag on these things. Uh, it's purely, purely science. Uh, leave ego outside the door. Uh, if you're wrong, you're wrong, no matter who you are. And, uh, you know, if a paper gets rejected, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, it doesn't matter. Just move on, submit somewhere else and uh, keep going. You know? uh, that's the, yeah, that's all I have to say. Probably a long-winded answer for your very short answer. No, it does, it does uh, make sense. Uh, I mean, a few days back I was listening to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and he was, he was mentioning about how children are the best scientists that we have because, uh, you know, it's innocence and it's creativity combined. And so uh, you never come up with uh, thoughts where if they, if I do something, what will be the outcome of that? So uh, I believe we can all we can safely say it's, it's about bringing out the child in you when you are in the lab. So uh, you wear your lab coat and become a child. Yes, exactly. And in fact, that combination you put out very nicely, which is innocence plus creativity, is very important. Both terms are important. Why is it creativity? Of course. But innocence means the absence of ego. Yeah. If you throw ego out, uh, then you're willing to learn from anybody. You are uh, willing to fail without any emotional baggage. Uh, and uh, you take success in its stride. You know, when things work, you take it. You know, you just uh, like doing it. So you're doing it, right? So okay. that is a very important factor. Innocence plus creativity. I think that's the key magical combination and persistence. Absolutely. I think uh, we've had a great discussion, Dr. Sanjeev. Uh, you know, lots to learn uh, from you and the research that you're doing. I'm sure, uh, you know, most of our viewers who are, you know, graduates, upcoming graduates in the field uh, would really like to get to know a lot more about uh, not just company, but also the research that's happening in the, in the flexible electronics lab. Um, thanks a lot for spending uh, time with us, Dr. Sanjeev. Um, yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. There is this one message uh, also, which I forgot to mention, which I feel is very important, if I may do so. Sure. It is just uh, one statement. So for any research, of course, we talked about persistence, creativity, and so on. Uh, but there's also something called as a moral compass. Okay. So I always encourage all of you to keep your moral compass above your uh, intellectual curiosity. Okay. So that's all. That's just this one uh, sentence. I have to say it. Uh, to all youngsters. Thank you. That's a great message to end the show today. Uh, thanks a lot, Dr. Sanjeev, and hope you have a great uh, stay over there and stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you, Suraj. Very nice talking to you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Dr. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.